You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. sharing a series of messages entitled, For the Rest of My Life. And these are 11 uh, basic decisions that the Lord has led me to make after a time of prayer and searching the heart of God to guide me for the rest of my life. The more I thought of these, the more I began to wonder why it was that some of them I had overlooked earlier in my life, and I had wished that someone would share with me how important it is to settle some significant issues early in life. Others of these are issues that the Lord has dealt with me early in life and I've sought to adhere to them. Let me just say that if you, um, if you listen carefully these two services today, you will hear your pastor's heart. You will hear how I believe God deals with me, especially in terms of giving me personal direction and especially in the sense of, of his leading me to make particular decisions. I'm asked constantly, uh, Pastor, how do I know this is the will of God? How can I know what it is God wants for me? And then other people say, well, you know, I think I know what it is God wants for me, but I'm having a struggle making a decision about that. And so in this first service I'm going to be speaking about, the fact that we ought to be directed people for the rest of my life, I want to be a man of direction. I want to have a clear-cut sense of what God has for me, and I want to cooperate with him aggressively. I want to be a man of direction. And then also, I want to be a man of decision. Now, there's an interesting way that um, I have of thinking about this. If I know the Lord and his heart for me, and if I know what it is that God wants me to do or how he wants to, me to behave, then it becomes a very simple matter of making the decision to do so. Now, that is predicated upon the fact that I know the heart of God. I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord your God, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. If I know that is his heart toward me, that he is working all things together for good for my life, then I know that when he shows me the way, I can safely trust in him and it becomes a simple matter of making a decision. And so today, all day long, we're going to be looking at this issue of direction in life and how to be a decisive person, a person of decision. Now, I believe that everyone in the world admires a person who lives their life with a sense of direction. Now, I didn't say that, that person, that they were always fond of that person or that they always felt that he was right, or that he was always popular. But I do believe that when people see a man of direction who is determined that he has found the heart of God, he's moving toward that, whether he's popular or unpopular is not the issue, people will follow that individual. Look at Moses. Moses was, was rarely the most popular leader of Israel. Often the children of Israel argued with Moses about the direction in which he was leading them, but in the end they always followed. Not necessarily popular or favored, but he was a man who left a deep impression upon them. Let me tell you about a man here in our, our own nation's history who, who became convinced from reading the Word of God 
that God was pointing him in this direction to serve the United States of America. I mean, that, was, that just welled up within his heart. And he desired to serve this great country. Now, it wasn't easy for him to, to get to a place of service. As a matter of fact, in um, 1832, his business failed because he was pouring all of his money into running for a race for legislature. And that same year, he was defeated in that race. So he lost his business. He lost his, his hopes at that moment. He turned around in 1833, and his business failed again. At the same year, he had a nervous breakdown. I think I'd get to the point of that, too, if I had two business failures and, and the point of a, of a nervous breakdown. In fact, in 1836, they say he did have a total emotional collapse. Well, he pulled everything together in 1838. He uh, ran to become Speaker of the House in his state legislature. You know what happened. He lost. In 1843, he ran for the U.S. Congress, and he lost that election. Boy, what direction? I think you get the picture, would you? In 1846... He won the race for the United States Congress, but when he ran again in 1848, he lost the election. 1854, he ran for Senate. He lost that election. 1856, he ran for the vice presidential nomination of his party, and he lost that. So he turned around in 1858 and ran again for Senate and lost that. Well, you'd think this guy would have some sense of, you know, realism. But he had direction in his life. I believe God has a purpose for my life to help my nation. And I thank God that in 1860, he ran for the presidency of the United States. This is no small thinking man. And he won that election. And although his tenure as president was cut short tragically by an assassin's bullet, this nation and the world is so happy that Abraham Lincoln felt the direction of God to serve his nation. Let me read you some things Lincoln said. He said, the character of the Bible is easily established to my satisfaction. He said, I decided a long time ago it was less difficult to believe the Bible was what it claimed than to disbelieve the Bible. He said, I have always taken counsel of God and referred to him my plans and have never adopted a course of proceeding without being assured as far as I could be of his approbation, that is his approval. He also said, I believe the Bible is, one of, is God's best gift to man, of course, other than salvation. And during the Civil War, and how we thank God for Lincoln's stand during the Civil War, during the Civil War, General Lee was leading 76,000 troops into Pennsylvania. Everybody was in absolute panic. And he said, when everyone else seemed panic-stricken, I went to my room, got down on my knees before Almighty God, and prayed. Soon a sweet comfort crept into my soul that God Almighty had taken the whole business into his hand. Now, not everybody agreed with Lincoln. As a matter of fact, there was a great war during his tenure as presidency, but there's scarcely a person in this world who does not admire him because he was a man with a sense of God's direction. And so we're going to be thinking together about direction and we're thinking, on, uh, thinking together about being decisive. And as I said, if you want to hear your pastor's heart, if you want to know how I go through the decision-making process and how I go personally through this issue of finding direction from God, then you'll be here. You're here already now. You're halfway through, but just be back for the next service this evening. All right? Let me ask you to stand together. We're going to read the Word of God, and you're going to have to listen very rapidly, dear friends. So turn your RPM up to 78, okay? 
Listen to these words, my son, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, forget not my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. By the way, the phrase mercy and truth is a common phrase with which uh, uh, the Holy Spirit inspired authors to refer to the Scripture. They were the words of God, mercy and truth. In the Bible, you see God's mercy, you see his truth. So he says, let not mercy and truth, the Bible, not only the characteristics, but let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them about your neck, write them upon the table of your heart, so shall you find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. By the way, I've heard people say that... Uh, that means in all of your ways make Christ known or make the Lord known. Well, that is something we should do. However, that is not what this verse means. Now, uh, there is that same word, the same root, and if it was in the Hebrew in what they call the PL tense, it would, it would say something like that, but it's not. In the original manuscript, it's in what's called the call tense, and so it means in all your ways know Christ. In other words, the big issue to you should be, is God in this? So in all your ways, acknowledge, know Christ. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And then he gives some practical illustrations of how this would happen. He said, for instance, all, there's this issue of humility. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It'll be health to your navel. That refers not only to the fact that you're going to be healthy, but that refers to the umbilical cord. It means there will be not only health for you, but a, a wonderful progeny. And marrow, that is refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your substance. Here he says not only humility, but honor. Honor the Lord with your substance. And by the way, then he says, there's no way to honor the Lord unless you're a tither. You say, what? Yes, and with the first fruits of all your increase. The word tithe, pithe me, means the set-aside first tenth of everything that you receive. And so he says, that's how you honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your substance, with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty. Your presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, he says, now this is going to keep you uh, right in the heart of God. You're going to be persevering. My son, he says, despise not the chastening or the discipline of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. In other words, it's going to be a long period in your life when you feel you're being under the discipline at the training table of God. He said, don't despise it, don't reject it. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Father, take us right to your heart. In your word today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. And would you keep your Bible open to Proverbs chapter 3? And I want you to think with me in these two services about the issue of direction. How do we find God's direction? And the issue of decision. How do I make proper decisions? Now, let me speak to you, first of all, about what I want to call two crucial elements, all right? Two crucial elements. And what I mean by this is that when you receive Christ by faith as your Savior, when you are saved, sometimes we say, are born again, or when you become a child of God, God then gives you two crucial elements so that you might grow and be conformed to his will or to his image. Now, what are those two crucial elements, all right? The first one is truth, and that means his Bible. This Bible, which is the Word of God. It's not men's words about God. 
It has been inspired by the Holy Scripture. The Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, all of it. Genesis through Revelation is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction to righteousness that the man of God might be perfect or adequate, thoroughly furnished in all, what? All good works. See, all the Bible has in it, everything any man needs to know to do everything right. This is God's Word. And one of the things God gives us when we trust Christ is truth. Look at the first four verses. Don't forget my law. Let your heart keep my commandments. Length of days, long life, and peace will it add to you. Let not mercy and truth, which is embodied in the Scripture, don't let them forsake you. Bind them on your neck. Write them upon the table. And where it says the table of your heart, that would be like, like when you see the Ten Commandments, those tablets of the law. Write them upon the table of your heart and you'll find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. And so God gives us truth. Now that comes as a gift from God. In John 8, verses 31 and 32, here's, here's what Jesus says. He says, Then said Jesus to those Jews who were following him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now listen, freedom has everything to do with your environment. Your environment determines whether you are free. Let me give you an illustration. Where is a bird free? In the air or under the water for extended periods of time? Well, you know the answer to that question. A bird is imprisoned under the water. That's not its proper environment. A bird is free when it's free to fly in the atmosphere. All right, but let's look at a fish. Where is a fish free? A fish experiences freedom when he's in the water, not up on the limb of some tree someplace. As long as that fish remains in his proper environment, that fish has freedom. He can make choices. He's free to go here, to go there. And so freedom is a matter of environment. Now listen carefully. Where is a Christian free? Well, not in the world. Not in the world. Not if you make your decisions based on the world's way of making decisions, such as, well, how do I feel about this? Or what is everybody saying about that? Or um, what do my friends think I ought to do? Or, well, I guess it didn't work, so it must not be right. You see, as long as you make your decisions the way the world makes them, you will never be experiencing the kind of freedom that Christ offers you. You're not free in the world. The Bible says we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And so you're not to be free when you operate according to the world system. By the way, I can tell you some examples of this. I'll not, I'll, I'll, I'll not do that this morning. I will this evening. But when people say to me, well, I'd love to, but I'm tied down. You know, I'd like to participate in that. I really see God in that, but I'm committed to something else. Well, I'm all tied up. I get a picture of people sitting in a chair with ropes wrapped up. I'd love to participate in what God's plan is, but I'm tied up, tied down. Other commitments, can't do that. Oh, man, I wish I could. I'm just shackled to that issue. Now, that's not the talk of a free man. That is the talk of people who have made foolish decisions based on what the world told them they ought to do with their time or their money or their energies or their abilities. And the world said, this is what they ought to do. And so then they're always tied down or tied up or shackled to something or chained to something. 
Where is a believer in Christ free? A believer is Christ, in Christ is free as long as you remain in the Word. If you continue in my Word, remain in my Word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And so truth is what God says in His Word regardless of what the world would say. And you can see over and over and over again this in operation. Was truth what God said or what the world said at the walls of Jericho? What God said. The world would have said it ridiculous. They'll never fall down. Was truth what God said or what the world said when Moses stood at the Red Sea and said, how do we get across? God said, stretch out that staff. And when he did, what, who, who was true? God's word was true. The waters parted. They went across as dry ground. Was truth what God said when Jesus said to Simon Peter, come to me, and Peter began walking across the water? Or was it what the world said when he saw the wind and he heard the waves? Well, oh, then he began to operate by what the world said and he began to sink. Truth is always what God says in his word. By the way, that's why it is important for you to realize that this is the inerrant, the infallible Word of God. It is verbally inspired. In other words, every word in here, not just the thoughts, the general idea, every word is inspired by God. It is plenarily inspired. That is, all of the body of truth is inspired by God. Somebody says, well, I think there might be error in spots and I'm inspired to spot the spots. No, there is no error in the Word of God. Now, you must settle that in order to have the second crucial element. What is that? It is trust or faith. What God has for you so that you might grow are these two elements, truth and then trust. Now, why is truth mentioned first? Why does God spend so much more time speaking about truth than he does about faith, although there are volumes about both? Because, now listen, Faith or trust is based upon truth. True Bible believing is not hope. Well, I hope that works out. No, true faith is based on this. I know God. He will not lie. This is his word. Therefore, I have faith that God will operate according to the principles of his word. There must be truth. You've got to settle it. This is God speaking to you, friend, if you're a believer in Christ. Not some man's sermons preached to you. This is God speaking to you as fresh as he spoke it to the prophets because the same Holy Spirit who moved upon them to write moves in your heart to read. It is God's word to you. And so what does the Bible say? The Bible says this. He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. And so as you are settling down in the Word and the Word is settling down in you, then there is built up within you faith. I believe God. I know who He is. I know how He operates. He is never wrong. Now, what, is, what does faith do? I mean, uh, what, what, what is it about faith? Well, let me just tell you this. Every area of your life is to operate on the basis of faith or, listen to this now, this is, this is going to sound tough, if you're not operating on the basis of faith, you are living in sin. You see, fear is a choice to believe a lie. If you have fear in your heart right now, you have chosen to believe a lie. Now, you say, Brother Tom, I think that's pretty tough, pretty, pretty hard, but let me just tell you that Romans 14, 23 says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. 
And Hebrews 11:6 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let me give you some categories just quickly that the Bible says had to do with faith. We're saved by faith. I want you to help me out here. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 say, For grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. By grace are you saved through what? Faith. So we enter the Christian life by faith. We live by faith. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7, quoting Habakkuk, for we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, Peter walked for a while by faith, then he began to walk by sight, impressed with the world's, um, the world's evidence there, more so than the word of God. By the way, if we walk, we also stand. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Watch you stand fast in the faith. Equip yourselves like men and be strong. We pray by faith. Over in James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, he says, If any man like wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. And then he goes on to explain how the man who wavers is like the foam of the sea tossed here and there. And of course, Matthew 21, 22 says, All things whatsoever you ask, believing you shall receive. By the way, we also overcome obstacles by faith. Matthew 17, 20 says this, If you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to that mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing is impossible for you. Hey, let me ask you a question, by the way. What's important? The amount of your faith or the object of your faith? Let me answer. Answer, it's the object of your faith. See, everybody says, well, I just wish I had more faith. No issue with God. He wants you to take the faith he's given you and put it in him. You see, if I have a lot of faith or a little faith, it has nothing to do with whether this platform holds me up. It's what this platform's made out of. I've had a lot of faith in some men who've let me down over my lifetime. Relatively speaking, sometimes I've had little faith in Christ. He's never let me down. And so he says here that we overcome obstacles by faith, just grain of mustard seed. You couldn't see it if I held it up. If you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, say to that mountain, remove hence to yonder place, it'll be removed and nothing will be impossible for you. We fight by faith. 1 Timothy 6, 12 says, fight the good fight of, what's the word? Faith. Fight the good fight of faith. By the way, if we fight, we always win if we fight by faith. 1 John says, uh, 5 chapter, or verse 4 says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our, what is it? Even our faith. So now, if you're sinning, if you're not living by faith, and you're not pleasing God if you're not living by faith, and if every area of your Christian life is to be exercised by faith, it's important for us to know what faith is. Listen carefully for the next five minutes. Truth, trust. I haven't gotten nearly as far as we need to get, but I've gotten as far as we can handle this morning. Truth and trust, crucial elements. Trust, faith. What is it? All right, turn with me quickly to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Let's see what faith is. It just says there, faith is, and he goes ahead and tells us. All right, first of all, he says faith is, Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, some of you may have the word there, the assurance. That's a contemporary word which 
is translated here in the authorized version as substance. You're assured that, you know, we say seeing is believing. When I feel the substance, when I see it, then I'll believe it. All right, he says here, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Let me put it to you a different way. Faith is having the assurance that what you desire is a reality and all you have to do is claim it. Faith is being assured that what you desire is a reality. All you have to do is claim it. See, faith is not hope. Well, I hope this... No, that's not faith. Faith is not even hoping hard. Oh, I just hope, I hope, 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 hope. Faith is not hoping hard. Faith is what happens when God gives you the assurance that your desire, what you want, is exactly what He wants, therefore, you're going to receive it. That's why we pray, Father, Thy will be done, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is being done in heaven. In other words, Lord, how do I translate heaven's will into my home and my heart and my future? All right, because I've come to a point where I'm agreeing with you that what you want is what I want. See, if, with every situation, there's three ways. There's your way, there's the other person's way, and there's God's way. If your way ever gets to be God's way, then you'll get what you want. See, God will speak to you and say, all right, you are aggressively cooperating with me. It's the assurance. How does that come? It comes by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word God speaks. Let me give you an illustration. Here's the man at the pool of Bethesda. He's been sick 38 years. Do you think he's been laying there 38 years waiting to get in the water to be healed? Let me ask you a question. Do you think that the man could walk? No, he couldn't. Even if he was involved in some kind of psychosomatic exercise, if you don't walk for 38 years, you can't walk. Your muscles atrophy. All right? You think he'd ever tried to walk? Of course he had. That's how he found out he couldn't walk. Do you think he wanted to walk? Of course he did. That's why he's at the pool and had been there for years trying to get into the water before the other people. What do you think would happen if you walked up to him and said, uh, get up and walk? He'd probably take his crutch, whack you off at the knees and say, let's see how you like it down here, smart aleck exactly what Jesus said. Oh, but it was Jesus. You want to walk? Yes, sir. Stand up and walk. And he did because by the word of God, there was born in his heart faith, the assurance that what he wanted was a reality. He just had to get up and claim it. So faith is the assurance, the substance of things so far, the assurance that your desire is a reality because what you're wanting is what God wants you to want. All right, number two, and we're going to show you how to do that today. This evening, we're going to give you an illustration of how that happens, all right? Secondly, he says, it is the evidence of things not seen. It's the conviction that something is real even though you can't perceive it with your physical senses. You can't see, hear, smell, taste, or touch, but you're convinced it's real. On what basis? On the basis of the Father's Word. We say seeing is believing. What we're saying is this. When God gives you the Word, you don't have to see it physically. It is there. It is a reality based on the Word of the Father. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Let me give you an illustration. Let's suppose you're like Rick Coons, born in Florida, grew up in Florida, and you decide to go to school in Anchorage, Alaska. Some of you have heard me tell this before. So Rick, in all likelihood, would show up at Anchorage just like he was dressed for school in Florida. Thongs, muscle shirt, ha, 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 um, and Bermuda shorts. There he is in Anchorage. Now, early in the year in Anchorage, uh, that might be okay. Steve Jackson just got back from that, that lovely place, and I even saw a picture of him there in Bermuda shorts, you know, as they caught those big salmon up there. Well, now, 
Here he is. But, you know, weather changes in Anchorage. And so pretty soon it's, it's freezing. It's sub-zero weather. Pretty soon there's snow all over the ground. Does he have a need? Yes, he has a need. What does he need? What does he desire? He wants a coat. His parents love him. They're way down in Florida. They know what a goose he is. They know that he went off and left his coat. And so they go down to the finest store. They buy the finest coat they can purchase for him. Fur line, leather. I mean, he's got wonderful insulation inside. And they want to let him know that it's on the way. And so they call him, and they bring him out of the dorm to a payphone. Now, picture, snow's up here. He's got goosebumps on his goosebumps, thongs, muscle shirt, shorts. He's walking out, turning blue, gets in the phone booth, and his father says, Rick, is that you? Rick says, sure. And he says, son, I just called to tell you that, that we're, you know, do you have a need? He said, well, I need a coat. He said, well, that's why we're calling. We, we, we're giving you a coat. We sent it. It's on the way. It's in the mail. Now, what does Rick do? He says, oh, please send me a coat. No, that would be dishonoring to his father. What does Rick do? He says, I'll go and throw myself across the bed and cry if you'll send me a coat. No. What does he say to his father? Thank you. Now, listen, has he ever seen that coat? No, he's never laid eyes on it. Has he ever heard the zipper running up and down that coat? No, he's not heard it. Has he felt the fur on that coat? Has he smelled the leather on that coat? No. Has he taken a bite of that leather to taste if it's real leather? No, he hasn't seen, heard, smelled, tasted, touched that coat. He walks out of that phone booth. He starts acting like a Christian. His friends are gathered around. He's become quite a spectacle. They say, hey, Rick, you need a coat? And he smiles, no, I have one, and walks on. Hmm. That's the way a Christian looks to the world. What does he have? He's got the word of the Father, and he's already rejoicing in it. See, faith is the conviction, the evidence of things not seen, the conviction something is real, although I can't see it. Number three, quickly, and then we're through. By it, we read in that next verse 2, Hebrews 11:2. 2, by it the elders receive a good report. Now, whatever that means to you, I can tell you that there's a sense in which it means this. It is by faith that the people of the Old Testament became famous. They have a good report. By faith, they have a good report. Well, that's interesting. You know why? Because in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, there is no word for faith. You see, the Hebrew mind thought in terms of things that were concrete. The Greeks, oh, they could get very philosophical about it. Well, rain, those are tears of a god. They're fighting, that's the lightning. Chariots are rumbling across the clouds, and they would, you know, they, would, they, they were like that, but not the Hebrew. The Hebrew would walk out and say, water's coming out of the sky. And because they could not think in terms of the abstract, the Hebrew language does not have a good word for faith. By the way, it does have a good word for faithful. Being a man or a woman whose activities express your faith. Now listen, here it is, the last thing we're going to say this morning. Faith is not something you feel or something you think. Faith is doing what God says. Somebody has a lot of faith in God. Oh, I'm filled with faith. All right, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. No, I can't do that. Oh, you don't have any faith. You see, faith is doing what God says. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, that's not my kind of thing. I mean, I got a lot of faith and everything, but I'll never tell people about Jesus. No, you don't have faith. Because, see, faith is doing what God says. Let me ask you a question. If you were to list, and I'm going to read some of them here in just a moment or mention them to you, some of these people in the roll call of the faithful here in the book of Hebrews. There's a long list of people of faith. 
Let me ask you, is any one of them famous for what they thought? Nah. Who knows what they thought? Is any one of these people famous for how they felt? Nah, it has nothing to do with it. They, they probably had rampant emotions. In fact, it says of Abraham, truly he would have been, he, truly he would have had a mind to return, that is to Ur of the Chaldees. If he had had a mind, he'd have made a way. Had nothing to do with emotions. It has everything to do with acting on the Word of God. Look at it. By faith, Abel felt. No, no, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah thought, oh, this is going to be fun, building a boat, preaching about a flood, nobody knows what that is, or even what a boat is, we're miles from the nearest water. No, he didn't feel like doing that. Oh, this makes sense, I'm going to go... No, 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 no. He just did what God said. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. Abraham said, great, I want to go on a trip not even knowing where I'm going. No, by faith, Abraham went out. Why? Because God said, go out. By faith, Moses forsook the riches of Egypt. He could have been king of Egypt. But it's because he looked beyond that, and by faith, he forsook. You see, there is no such thing as faith without action. And some people say, well, I'm going to do what God says, but I sure don't. I can't see how it's going to work out. I sure don't feel that... that I sure have trepidation, but I'm going to go ahead and do what God says. You are a person of faith. Has nothing to do with feelings. Has nothing to do with thoughts. It has everything to do with doing what God says. Now, why does trust rely on truth? If you're not convinced this is what God says, you're not going to do it. If you're not convinced, God says lead people to Christ. God says tithe. God says bring the first fruit of your increase. God says you're to live a whole... If you're not convinced you're hearing from God and you don't know the heart of God, you're not acknowledging Him in everything, you're not going to do what He says. Now, there's so much more to this. I, I want to show you in the next service how God sets up dilemmas or dilemmas in your life, situations in your life where this is tested in order to get you to grow. And I want to show you how you can make the decision to do right. That's tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray, trusting your Holy Spirit, moving in this place will bring people to this altar. I pray, Lord, people will call upon you to be saved. I believe, Lord, this morning it's your heart's desire. You said it to bring people into your kingdom. They've heard the testimonies of these two here. They've seen the testimonies and heard them of those who are baptized. Oh, Lord, help us to realize, every one of us to realize, there is no eternal life in heaven apart from receiving you as Savior. Bring others, Lord, I pray, to become a part of this church family. You know people's hearts, Lord. You know what we need, Lord. Bring them to be a part of this church family. And others, Lord, perhaps who just want to come and kneel and say, I have been a faithless person. I've said I really believed in God, yet in many instances I'm still arguing with God over what I know he has said. So, Father, make us people of great faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, let's stand to our feet. In a few moments, the choir is going to sing our invitation hymn. This is your invitation to come to Christ. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to lead us in prayer before you come. If you do not know Christ, don't have the assurance of eternal life, you never have accepted him as your Savior because he died on the cross and rose from the grave and is alive today. Your invitation, come find a counselor and say, look, I want to know Christ. That's it. I want to know Christ. If you're here, you're not a member of this church, God's speaking to your heart about doing that. 
becoming a part of this church, why would you wait? If God has said that and you have faith, why would you wait one other moment? And I would challenge you to come. Counselors will be coming. Prayer warriors will be coming. I'm going to ask those who've made decisions in earlier services whom we've not introduced, but those who were baptized this morning, come and be seated here so that we can introduce you. Your invitation to say yes to Jesus this morning, and I would urge you to make that decision for Christ. As many others come, won't you join them this morning? Father in heaven, give boldness and decisiveness to people. Give them the gift of faith to believe in you and believe in your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.